We're going to be in John chapter 10 this morning. I get the privilege, the extreme honor of being able to preach another part of these, this seven-part series, the I Am Sayings of Jesus. Pardon me, I just don't want to trip over this stuff as I pace back and forth. We're going to be in John chapter 10. Today, the I Am Statement of Jesus is the good shepherd. Let's watch this video. Okay, John chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 11, we're going to go through 18, and that's all the verses I'm going to have today. I winked. <clears throat> the, I was telling Pastor Austin this week that the older I get and the more uh, studying I do for, you know, sermons and messages and lessons and all of that stuff, I, I see not that I didn't know it before, but I recognize the importance of the Old Testament. And that in order to see what exactly is happening, what is being said, the, the traditions, the, the scriptures, the, the messages, all of that stuff, we have to look to the Old Testament. So we are going to read these, these verses in John chapter 10, 11 through 18. But then I want to take you to a book in the Old Testament that probably most of us have never even bothered to read. Because it perfectly describes and extrapolates on what he is saying here in John chapter 10. And I believe, personally, this is something that would be on the forefront of the minds of the people that he's talking to. So John chapter 10, verse 11 through 18. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right 
to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Jesus here, let's get some context, because remember, context is key. What is he saying? He's saying he's the good shepherd. Where is he saying it? We're not entirely sure. We don't know if he was exactly in the temple or just around Jerusalem, uh, but we do know that it's in the presence of the Pharisees, because in chapter 9, verse 40, and, and Pastor Austin, when he preached the gate a couple of weeks ago, um, we talked about how that conversation continues, okay? So essentially, in the last part of um, chapter 9, the Pharisees are saying like, are, are you saying we're blind? Are you saying we're the problem? Are, are we the ones that are wrong? And Jesus is saying in verse 41, he says, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. And then he continues this into chapter 10 because remember, Chapters and verses were not separated in the original text. These were just written down in books, okay? So, he's speaking to the Pharisees, and he's telling them this at the festival of dedication, or Hanukkah. This feels so similar to, like, the very first message I got to preach here on John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Because if you remember, we talked about Hanukkah then as well, because it's in John chapter 10, verse 27. Um, so the festival of dedication, Hanukkah, they're remembering how they regained the temple from uh, Antiochus. The Maccabees came in and they, they restored the ability to go into the temple for the Jews. Okay, so this is 150 years after that, and they're remembering... They're remembering that dedication service. He's also saying it that at the, no, when is he saying it? The festival of dedication. And what would be at the forefront of their mind is the evil ruler, Antiochus, who the Maccabees resisted, and then as well, Herod the Great, who was exercising the Roman rule over the Jews and persecuting them. So, they have all of this at the forefront of their mind as he's saying these things. Um, but there's a chapter in the Old Testament, and I'll go ahead and tell it to you now so you can have two minutes to find it. Ezekiel chapter 34. Go ahead and turn to Ezekiel chapter 34. We're going to read the whole chapter. Are you guys ready for that? Well, get ready. Get ready because we are reading the whole chapter of Ezekiel 34. I know you guys are especially excited about that. So, the reason we're going to read the whole chapter is because this is the word of God. It is powerful and alive. And, and it is better than anything I can say. It has the power to change lives. 
because it is the Word of God. Ezekiel chapter 34. Is everybody ready? Is everybody there? All right. So before we start reading, keep this word in the back of your mind. Comparisons. Comparisons. Because we've seen a few in John chapter 10 already. But in Ezekiel chapter 34, we are going to see many different comparisons about how Jesus is referencing this chapter when he's speaking to the Pharisees. Now, I'm not going to read the whole chapter in a row and then come back to it. So I will stop, but we are going to get through the whole chapter. So join me in verse number 1, and uh, we'll stop around verse number 10. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? You eat the fat, wear the wool, and butcher the fattened animals, but you do not tend the flock. You have not strengthened the weak. You have not healed the sick. You have not bandaged the injured. You have not brought back the strays or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd, and they became food for all the wild animals when they were scattered. My flock went astray on all the mountains and every high hill. My flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and there was no one searching or seeking for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, this is the declaration of the Lord God. Because my flock, lacking a shepherd, has become prey and food for every wild animal, and because my shepherds do not search for my flock, and because the shepherds feed themselves rather than my flock, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Lord God says. Look, I am against the shepherds. I will demand my flock from them and prevent them from shepherding the flock. The shepherds will no longer feed themselves, for I will rescue my flock from their mouths so that they will not be food for them. These 10 verses right here, in verse number two, it, it immediately begins talking about shepherds. Now, at this time, shepherd was a very common metaphor for a leader or a king or a judge or, in, in our case, John chapter 10, a Pharisee or a religious leader, okay? He's describing these hired hands. Remember hired hands? He talked about hired hands in John chapter 10. He's describing these hired hands as selfish uncaring and unconcerned with their flock. They have let God's people scattered without a shepherd because they are too busy with their own things. No one has gone to look for them. They are seeing poor leadership, 
poor shepherds. Austin, we have high responsibility, my brother. We have high responsibility. Leaders, you have high responsibility to shepherd the flock that you have been given. Whether it's this congregation here, whether it's a, a Wednesday night class, whether it's those four and those five-year-olds, you have been garnered with the task of taking care of them, of feeding them, of tending to them. Do it well. I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm really excited this morning. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. <laughs> I am not sorry. Look at this. This is really cool. Throughout these 10 verses right here, we see uh, the, the, writer, the writer Ezekiel here, he tells three things that the shepherds have done to their flock. But then he mirrors it in the, in the remaining verses. So he initially says that the sheep have been neglected, they have been unaccounted for, and they have been attacked. This is five. Yes, four and five. And then, seven, eight, nine, he reverses it and says they've been attacked, they've been unaccounted for, and they've been neglected. God is saying that these leaders, these shepherds, these Pharisees, these religious people, he's against them because they're not tending his flock. In the New Testament, the word, the word that is translated pastor is actually the Latin word pesco, which means the verb means to tend, to maintain, and to support. It's talking about shepherds. The role of a pastor is literally to shepherd. But I believe that all of us in this room feed, care, maintain, and support some flock. Whether it's your own family, your own children, the classrooms that you're responsible for teaching, I heard something <laughs> uh, a couple weeks ago that leadership is nothing but your influence. You have leadership over who you influence. And guess what? You have influence over so many more people than you could even imagine. There are so many people looking at you and watching you, and your influence over their lives is of vital importance because they're looking to you to be their shepherd. They're looking to you to guide them. Don't forget, verse 7 says, therefore. You always got to find out what the therefore is there for. God is saying... 
that because you have neglected my flock, because you have unaccounted for, because you have let them get attacked, you will be held responsible. He will take away your right to feed the flock. He will stop you from feeding yourselves, from using your power and influence in a selfish way. And he promises that the sheep will no longer be prey. This wasn't exactly the direction that I thought these first 10 verses would go. But leaders, shepherds, you have a high responsibility of serving God well in your area and tending to your flock. Just because your flock may be smaller than somebody else's doesn't mean that it's any less important at all. Here we go. Verse 11. For this is what the Lord God says. See, I myself will search for my flock and look for them. As a shepherd looks for his sheep on the day he is among his scattered flock, so I will look for my flock. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and total darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples. I will gather them from the countries and I will bring them to their own soil. I will shepherd them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will tend them in good pasture and their grazing place will be on Israel's lofty mountains. That song beautifully talked about the mountains of Israel. Then there they will lie down in a good grazing place. They will feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will tend my flock and let them lie down. This is the declaration of the Lord God. I'm getting way ahead of myself. Let's take it back to verse 11. We see this comparison here. That Jesus is referencing in John chapter 10 of the hired hands versus the good shepherd. Write that down. Hired hands versus the good shepherd. And he describes for you what these hired hands do. He tells you how they act. He tells you all of their shortcomings. And then he follows it up with what the Lord God is going to do. And in this chapter I counted 26 Different times when God says, I will do something. 26. There's a lot of promise in this chapter here. There's a lot of promise. And when we get to verse 14 and we, we kind of nestle there, we're going we're gonna to sit there for a few minutes and we're going to talk so much about what God wants to do for us, what he wants to do for you, what he wants to do for his flock. Hired hands versus the good shepherd. Verse 11, I myself will search and find. He's not just going to go out and look for you. 
He is going to. But He will find you. When you feel lost, when you feel the furthest away from God you've ever been, when you have neglected your relationship with Him for six months, when you have not picked up your Bible in over a year, when you haven't prayed except for, you know, before dinner, or not, when you feel like you have no connection with this shepherd, He's out searching for you. And one day, he will find you. He will find you. We're not depending on the hired hand to come and find us. He's not leaving it up to these corrupt leaders. He will take the responsibility of it himself. And this is the beauty of the gospel. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but the, the temple, right, and they had to come and make sacrifices for their sins because without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. There had to be a sacrifice. There had to be shedding of blood in order for sins to be forgiven. So they were given all of these laws in the books of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and then they were told, you need to come to the temple, and depending on what you've done wrong, you need to sacrifice this animal or that animal or whatever. Do you know what the point of that was? It was not, it was not just to sacrifice animals. It was not just to cover their sins. While at the time, it was a temporary covering for a permanent problem, one of the main points of the temple was to show us that we are imperfect and are incapable of meeting God's holy standard. The point of the temple was to show you you can't do it on your own. It's impossible. I myself will search and find my sheep. I'm going to do it myself. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Like the years, hundreds of years of the temple sacrifices going on. And I know this is a, in a song about the resurrection, but humor me here. When, when God and Jesus are up in heaven and they're receiving the you know, the, the burnt incense and the sweet savoring smell from the temple and, and the, the sacrifices for the forgiveness of their sins. And then one day, one day God the Father just stands up off the throne and he looks at Jesus and says, it's time. It's time for you to go find him. They've tried hard enough for long enough. It's up to you. I myself will search and find my sheep. But Ben, 
these verses are talking about Israel. And when they were scattered and lost their land and their temple. Right. You mean the same Jews that are currently celebrating in John chapter 10, Hanukkah, which remembers when the Maccabees took back the temple and dedicated it 150 years ago? You mean the thing that they would be thinking about so strongly and, and at the forefront of their celebrations to which Jesus is referencing for these Pharisees? Yes. What I'm saying is these verses don't apply to us because we're not Jewish. We're not, we're not Israelites, and to that I say, you're right. You're, you're right. But if you look back at John chapter 10, verse 16, what did Jesus say? Jesus says, I have other sheep too that aren't in this sheepfold. Because he was talking to Jews and Israelites, but he came to seek and save the lost. Unto the Jew first and then to the Gentile. It's a movement for all people. Remember, we talked the last time about how it was in the, the uh, was it the sanctuary of the women? It was something of the women, to where he didn't want to withhold his message from anyone. He wanted everyone to understand that what he came to do was for all people. I must bring them also. There will be one flock with one shepherd these are verses these are promises for us all right 12 13 and 14 this starts to sound like a very familiar passage does it not sheep pastures tending rivers rest sounds a lot like psalm 23 I want to list out some of the things that, that God is promising here in these five verses. I encourage you to write them down so that you can see what he's saying so that when you feel not enough, you can look back to them and say, God, you've promised me this. God, you will do this. Number one, he will search for us and find us. Anybody ever lost a pet? Yep. When you lost that pet, did you go looking for it? Yeah. If you loved it. Right? I think that's the point that's trying to be made here, though. If you cared for that pet, if you loved that pet, and you knew it was missing, you went out to find it. You got in your car and you rolled your windows down and you yelled it. You yelled his name out the, out the window. Baxter! That's my dog. Baxter! Get over here! Do you know when I stopped searching? When I found him. Some of you think 
Some of you think that you're not even lost, you're hiding. You're hiding from God. You know exactly where you are. You're not lost. It's like Adam and Eve in the garden. After they realized that they were in sin, they hid themselves. They didn't want to be confronted by what it meant for them in their sin. They're afraid. You're afraid of what your life is going to have to look like or what God is going to change your life to look like after you give it to him. Point number two. He will rescue us and bring us home. When we're lost. When we don't know where we are. When we don't know how to get home. When we've come to the end of our rope. When we say that I'm too far gone. He will rescue you and bring you home. It continues on, point three. It says that he will feed us. You remember the last message we talked about nourishment. Nutritional value of the word. He's not just going to feed us like whatever, old Roy. Okay, y'all know that dog food, old Roy? It's garbage. Don't feed it to your dogs. It's barely enough. God says that he will feed us and nourish us. And you know what happens when God feeds us and nourishes us? Steak. Salmon. Chicken. Good stuff. The white meat. The breast. I like the breast. God will nourish us. So that we can be healthy, so that we can be strong. Because when we're fed correctly, he will care for us. Point number four. He will give us what we need. What we need, not what we want, what we need. He will tend to us. Who has a garden in here? One, two, three, four, five. Excellent. You tend your garden, correct? What happens when you do not? It overgrows. I'm thankful that we had people over to our house on Friday because it forced me to tend the garden. You should have seen it before. It was awful. It was absolutely awful. But we got in there and we weeded We pulled stuff out. God wants to care for you by tending to you, by removing things that shouldn't be there that you have let overgrow. Sometimes it'll hurt. (laughs) 
keep going up and down. I don't know what I'm doing. He will give us rest. What happens? What does it require for you to get a good night's rest? Be quiet, probably. No distractions. There's one, there's one that we take serious advantage of here in America, and it's safety. If you don't feel safe, you're not going to sleep well. Do you know who's taking the responsibility of keeping you safe? God has. The good shepherd says that he will take care of you. He will give you rest. It's his responsibility to allow you to lie down in peace. It literally says in peace. That wasn't me. Number six, last one, he will heal us. He will heal us. He will bandage you up. He will carry you. And he will care for your needs when you are incapable of doing it yourself. I thought it was so funny, Jenny, that your song talks about how broken feet won't even keep me from following you, right? And then Aspen shows up this morning with a broke foot. I was like, ah, that's funny. It's not really broke. It's just hurt. But it was perfect because it says he will bandage you up. Let's keep reading. Verse 16, I will search for my lost ones who strayed away and I will bring them safely home again. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak, but I will destroy those who are fat and powerful. Oh. Hold on. I will destroy the fat and the strong. I will shepherd them with justice. Whoa, God. You're just talking about like helping us. He says, I am helping you. Do you know what happens when powerful, unrighteous members of the community get into places of influence in the flock? Bad things. Bad things. This right here, verse 16, is a transition verse between what he will do for his flock and what he will do to those taking away or hindering from his flock. Okay, so we're kind of jumping back to the first few verses of, of chapter 34. Verse 17. This is where it's going to get quiet. God will separate the sheep from the goats. As for you, my flock, the Lord God says this, Look, I am going to judge between one sheep and another, between the rams and the goats. Isn't it enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of the pasture with your feet? Or isn't it enough that you drink the clear water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Yet my flock has to feed on what your feet have trampled and drink what your feet have muddied. Go back to the uh, goats versus sheep. Now, 
Sheep here, the ones he's talking to, his true flock, the ones he's promised all these things to, are the followers of Jesus who do works of mercy. Goats are people who pretend to follow Jesus, who refuse to serve the needy. Do you want to know what the primary difference is between goats and sheep? Does anybody even know the difference between goats and sheep? What? Okay. Good. Some of your translations may say rams and goats. Rams essentially are just male sheep, okay? The main difference between rams and goats are their foraging habits, what they eat and how they eat it, okay? Rams, the male sheep, they graze. They're not picky. So when the shepherd says, come over here, this is what you need, this is good for you, they say, okay. They eat it. They're good with it. That's fine. They go where they're led. They eat where they're told to eat. But goats, goats are wanderers. Anybody ever had goats? They get out of a fence all the time because they're not content with what they have. They're picky. They want it my way or no way at all. They say, I'm not really good with what you have for me over here, so I'm going to take myself over here where I think it's better. Yeah. Wow. That's the difference. God says he's going to judge them. Yeah. Because it's not about you. It's about him. In the Benson commentary, it says that the prophet, having finished what he had to say to the shepherds, now delivers God's message to the flock. God had before ordered him to speak tenderly to them and to assure them of the mercy which he had in store for them, which we saw, which was so, so good. But now he is ordered to make a difference between some and others of them, to separate the precious and the vile, and then give them a promise of the Messiah by whom this distinction would be effectually made. Let's run through these last verses. He says that the goats, they feed on the good pasture, but then they also trample down the feet, the other stuff. Everything else that everybody else is trying to get, they stomp it down. They stand upriver, and then they go like this. They disturb it. And then all that sediment just flows down to the other members that are trying to drink clear water, but the ones ahead of them are muddying it. Why should the flock suffer due to their negligence? Let's go to verse 20. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Oh, that, that can't be me. <laughs> Since you have pushed with flank and shoulder and butted all the weak ones with your horns until you scattered them all over, I will save my flock. They will no longer be prey, and I will judge between one sheep and another. God will judge. Another comparison between the fat sheep and the scrawny sheep. Some of those with power and influence have taken all the good things for themselves and left others without any resources. 
The corrupt and powerful members of the flock have used their influence to push and butt and crowd until they get their way, and the weaker, more timid sheep have been scattered. This is a bleak outlook of the church. But it's getting good. Verse 22. God promises again, so I, 22, I will save my flock. They will no longer be prey, and I will judge between one sheep and another. Keep going. I will establish over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will shepherd them. He will tend them himself and will be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. Go back. Stop. Don't. No. I, the Lord, has spoken. I will rescue my flock. They will no longer be prey. Remember I said on my last one that each one of these I am sayings is a claim to his deity. You remember me saying that? When he says, I am the good shepherd, these verses... Right here is what he's talking about. The good shepherd in Ezekiel chapter 34 is described in 22, 23, and 24 as being David. Hold up. David lived around 1000 BC. Ezekiel was written around 600 BC, 590, 570 BC, somewhere around there. That's a 400-year difference. David has come and gone. He's gone. So what is he saying here? Can David be resurrected and, and be on the throne? No. Let's look over at another book that was written almost exactly the same time in Jeremiah, chapter 23, verses 5 and 6 here. Look, the days are coming. This is the Lord's decoration when I will raise up a righteous branch for David, he will reign wisely as king and administer justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. This is the name he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Jeremiah is expanding on the promise of someone coming through David's line. He says he will set over them one shepherd. How then? God, is, God says, I will be their shepherd. So how can he set over them somebody, another shepherd, if he's already said that he'll do it? Because the one that he sets over them as their shepherd is God. He is God. He is the Lord. He will feed them. He will be a shepherd to them. He is claiming to be this shepherd. Verses 25 through 31. Let's read them as we close this out. I will make a covenant of peace with my people and drive away the dangerous animals from the land then they will be able to camp safely in the wildest places. 
and sleep in the woods without fear. This chapter might be what that verse, what that song is written by Jenny. It's, it's, it's got a lot of similarities in it, doesn't it? I will bless my people and their homes around my holy hill. I under, oh, I'm sorry, I'm reading out of this. this. I will make them in the area around my hill a blessing. I will send down showers in their season. They will be showers of blessing. The trees of the field will yield after their fruit, and the land will yield its produce. My flock will be secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the power of those who enslave them. They will no longer be prey for the nations and the wild creatures of the earth will not consume them. They will live securely. These are promises for you and no one will frighten them. I will establish for them a place renowned for its agriculture. Next verse. And they will no longer be victims of famine in the land. They will no longer endure the insults of the nations. Then they will know that I, the Lord, their God, am with them. And that they, the house of Israel, are my people. This is the direction of the Lord God. And verse 31 sums it all up. You are my flock. The human flock of my pasture. And I am your God. This is the declaration of the Lord. Band, you can come. Awesome student band, you may come. I want to leave you with two final verses in Hebrews chapter 13. Now, may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us, what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. As these guys sing this last song, search your own life. God is equipping you. He is leading you. He is caring for you. to take you where you're afraid to go. Be a sheep, not a goat. Let him lead you. Some of y'all have been so, you've been fighting God and where he wants you to go, what he wants you to do. Stop it. A life lived in service to God is better than any life you could ever hope to have in this world. It is the best life because He's the Good Shepherd. Listen to the words of this song. Let it speak to you. But above that, let Holy Spirit speak to you now. Listen to what he's calling you to do.